0: Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Cecile Richards has never shied away from controversy. Back in 7th grade, she got sent to the principal's office for protesting the Vietnam War. And as president of Planned Parenthood, she defended the organization in a heated 2015 congressional hearing. For Richards, it's all worth it to be able to do the work she loves.
1: You can go a lot of places, you can be, I guess, successful or make a lot of money, but there's nothing quite like having a job where people actually
0: uh, say to you, thanks for making my life better. This is Business Insider's Success How I Did It. I'm Rich Filoni. Richards' parents were liberal activists in the conservative state of Texas, a state that her mom, Ann Richards, led in the early 90s as governor. It was her mother who inspired her to take the job of Planned Parenthood president in 2006, a job she's leaving this year. Planned Parenthood is a healthcare provider that offers a long list of services, including cancer screenings and STI treatment. They also provide abortions and birth control, which has made it one of the most controversial institutions in the U.S. Richards is out with a new memoir called Make Trouble. I started our conversation by asking her where this title came from.
1: I think troublemaking has actually led to a lot of the progress we've made in this country. And you know, I think about even 100 years ago, when Planned Parenthood started, women couldn't even vote, right? We didn't have the right to anything. And it really was because people made trouble and women went to jail and they challenged the laws and defied convention that women made progress. And so I think it's, as my friend Congressman John Lewis would say, it's like about making good trouble. And I think when you do and really stand up for things you believe, that's how we make progress.
0: And you've never been afraid to be polarizing. Like, for example, (laughs) feminist icon Gloria Sinem, she's called you, quote, the best teacher on earth, someone you trust. Then you have the National Reviews editor, Rich Lowry, saying a skilled defender of the indefensible. (laughs) How have you dealt with such extreme perceptions of yourself?
1: Well, I think if you meet me, that's not really what I'm like. And like everyone else, I mean, I I don't want to intentionally cause trouble. I really just want to make sure that we stand up for the values that we believe in. And I've had the really good fortune. I've been. I've led a very privileged life. You know, I've gotten to choose the work I do, and I hope every job I've had has been a little bit about trying to push the ball forward, particularly for folks who may not have the same opportunities that I've had. Sometimes that's women. Sometimes that's working people. Sometimes that's immigrants. And as my mom said, you know, you can go a lot of places. You can be, I guess, successful or make a lot of money, but There's nothing quite like having a job where people actually uh, say to you, thanks for making my life better. And I've been real privileged to do that.
0: So is that what drives you hearing from those people?
1: Well, it really does, I think, in the sense of, like, why are we on this earth? And I've worked with a lot of people who didn't have any choice in what they did. I worked with women who were nursing home workers, women who worked in hotels, janitors who basically cleaned buildings, worked two jobs just to support their family. And it really taught me a lot about how much opportunity I had to do anything I wanted to with my life. And so when you do have that chance, I think it's on all of us to make decisions about how we want to use our time on this earth.
0: So it's like a really fundamental drive, like... What are we even here for? Let's do something about it.
1: Yeah. And, and You know, it's funny. When I started my first nonprofit, this little dinky nonprofit in Texas, and I had no idea what I was doing. But When I just, was that? Oh, my God. That was years ago, although it's now been operating for decades. So it was right after my mom lost her re-election. And I just felt like, wow, someone needed to do something about public education and standing up for some basic, basic civil liberties. And it was funny. During the time, older men would come and say, can I just come volunteer with you guys? Because I think they were at a point in their life where they thought, wow, what is it all about? And so I've always tried to kind of keep that in mind is that this is the only life you have. So you got to
0: make the most of it. And did you have this, like this kind of streak in you when you were a kid?
1: Well, my parents, of course, were complete troublemakers. Um, my, (laughs) My dad, we lived in Dallas, Texas, and it was pretty conservative. And my parents were very liberal. My dad was a civil rights lawyer, and he was actually defending conscientious objectors to the Vietnam War. My mother was, she was just a rabble rouser. I mean, she was a housewife, but she was fighting for the farm workers. And she was, when the women's movement came to town, she just jumped Head first. And so I think as a kid, or and I have, you know, siblings, all of us just saw our parents and saw like politics was, it wasn't drudgery or wasn't dirty. It was actually where all the action was. And so I think it was kind of logical that I chose this path.
0: And even like, as you were saying, growing up in Dallas, controversy wasn't a problem. It was something you were comfortable <laughs> with, right?
1: Well, and it's something you had to do. I mean, again, that was a time in which like everything was segregated. The schools were segregated. The pools were segregated. I mean, people of color in Dallas had very few options. And I know we've made progress, not enough. And women, I mean, none of the women and none of the moms I knew had the chance to work outside the home. So there's just a lot of things where people had to really fight to say, you know what, we need more opportunity. And of course, my mom began to take her own path and finally kind of left that life as a housewife, which was rewarding, but not enough for her, and eventually ran for office herself.
0: Yeah. So your mom, Governor Ann Richards, mm-hmm. um, served as governor from 91 to 95. Correct. And when you got to see this transformation throughout your childhood of her ascent through politics, right? what was that like, e- even when you started to join her as mm-hmm. a kid like w- with this activism?
1: Well, it was kind of amazing. And I think one of the things I learned from it is that no one ever thought she could do what she thought she could do. I mean, There had never been a woman elected in her own right in Texas as governor. And my mother was, like, completely the wrong profile. I mean, she was a liberal. She was divorced. She was a recovering alcoholic. And we never had a poll showing that she could win. And and the fact is, she just did it anyway because she thought it needed doing. And I think, like, a lot of women who run for office or maybe get into business, they look at who's in the job and they think, well, I think I could do a better job. And that really was what motivated her. And of course, we did win that election. And what we're seeing today is, of course, women winning elections that no one thinks they can win. Uh, So I think it's a lesson for us to, you know, don't ever let your practicality sort of step on your idealism or what you really think you need to do and want to do, because that's the only way things happen.
0: And even before that, when you were Mm -hmm. a teenager, for example, were you like joining her in her political activism?
1: It's interesting. I went away to college. I kind of escaped Texas. I'd never lived outside of the state. And I went as uh, pretty much as far as you can go. I went to Rhode Island. And to that, Brown. To Brown. And that was the first time my mother had run for anything. She was running for county commissioner. And so it was all very different. And then, of course... You know, whenever she ran for something else, we'd all come home and help her out. So it was really very late, you know, in my life that she became this feminist icon before she'd kind of just been mom. But I do. I think it's another lesson that I hope that she showed and that women are seeing, which is it's never too late to have a great life or to do what you are destined to do.
0: When you were at Brown sophomore year, you dropped out, actually, right? I did. I did. Yeah. Why'd you make that decision?
1: There was a labor strike, actually. The janitors at Brown went on strike. And I had never been involved in anything like that, but I got very deeply involved because my own janitor, who had been cleaning our, our dormitory, was now out on the picket line and I was somewhat disillusioned. I thought, wow, are these the values of my university? I think I probably just need to get out and kind of get my head clear. So I, I went to Washington and worked for a nonprofit. And then I eventually came back to Brown and made a lot of trouble, but also got my degree. But it was a really great education. I think it was, for me, a lot of the education we get in life is not necessarily what's being taught in the classroom. It's the experiences we get outside of that. And that was absolutely true at
0: Brown. What was it like returning to Brown? How was it different after you had this experience?
1: I think one is I just had the confidence to sort of question authority and stand up for the things I believed in. I got very involved in the divestment movement. It's like seems like ancient history now, but at the time, at the t- I mean, it's relevant because of yeah. what young people are doing on campus now. But one of the international uh, movements to support folks in South Africa that were trying to uh, overthrow the apartheid government or at least change and have a democracy was to get universities to divest their holdings in South Africa. And believe me, at the time, people said students were crazy. It would never happen. It was disruptive, you know, fill in the blank. And we did it anyway. It was a great experience. I learned so much. I mean, I learned a lot about Africa. I learned a lot about organizing. And, of course, eventually Brown did divest. And then several universities divested. And now as they write the story of what happened in South Africa, I've learned, as others have, just how critical, actually, that movement, that global movement was. And years later, in a kind sort of interesting twist of fate, they gave Nelson Mandela an honorary degree at Brown.
0: When do you think you first realized that you have to take a, a long-term perspective?
1: Well, probably... Um, an unsuccessful thing I did at Brown. Uh, I was involved in the anti nuclear movement to try to keep the Seabrook nuclear plant from being built. And I think it's now been operating for de- decades. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes you just lose and you just have to keep going on. But also, I realized, you know, when I left Brown, probably an unlikely path for a Brown graduate. I became a union organizer. I worked for garment workers in uh, the southern United States and in Texas and along the Rio Grande border. And I realized this is going to be a long haul. Uh, These are women who had been working at minimum wage for decades. And to make a change in their life was going to take a long, long time. It helped me be, I guess, a tad more patient than I was in college, realizing that this is work that you have to be committed to for your life. And so I have been.
0: When you were offered the role at Planned Parenthood in in 2006, you called your mom for some advice. What was that call like?
1: The truth was, and I think this is relevant for women who are trying to think about what to do next, I didn't think I was skilled enough to take the job. I mean, I had run smaller nonprofits, but I had never raised that much money, been responsible for a huge national organization with this, you know, almost 100-year history. And so I was afraid of, I'm sure I was afraid of failing. And so I called my mom and she said, you know, get over yourself. You know, you never know unless you try. And the things you really regret in life are the chances that you didn't take, So I went for the job interview, and then lo and behold, you know, 12 years later, I've had the honor of being the president of Planned Parenthood and having a window into some of the most important work happening for women in the country.
0: When you got this advice from your mom, I'm sure that she was always a a go-to person for advice, right?
1: Well, and she had a lot of advice. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What do you think maybe is the single best piece of advice that she gave you in your life?
1: She spent a lot of years just doing what society expected her she was supposed to raise kids, be a perfect wife, throw the perfect dinner party. And she did that for several years. And it wasn't until she had the chance to kind of break out and do what she wanted to do for her. I think she was always regretful that she, you know, missed some time and that she let social convention get in the way. So her best advice was, this is the only life you have. So do it. And whatever it is, never turn down a new opportunity. And, you know, she used to say when I was worried about taking a new job or other women who would say, you know, I'm not sure if I'm qualified. She'd say, look, what's the worst thing that could happen? And I think that's really good advice to just think about when you're thinking about starting a new business or changing jobs. It's just what's the worst thing that could happen? Because usually once you can imagine that, it's not that bad.
0: And so what ultimately drew you to the Planned Parenthood job?
1: Well, of course, I, like a lot of women, or like one in five women in the country, I'd been a Planned Parenthood patient when I was at Brown. That's where I got my birth control. And so I knew about the organization, had been a supporter. And to me, it was one of the most important organizations in the country in terms of helping women live out their lives and have opportunity to finish school and start a career and support a family. So to me, it was, there was no question that if this is something I could do, it would be such an honor. And. The job has been big and challenging, but I never even imagined how great it would be. So I'm so glad that I did go for that interview and obviously glad they
0: chose me. And you were tasked with kind of making it more political, right, bringing it back to its activist roots?
1: Well, I think one of the challenges that Planned Parenthood had, had was we were an excellent health care provider. Um, we provide health care to about two and a half million people every year. But politics was getting in the way. I mean, more and more laws were being passed and restrictions. And so I think it was not necessarily to be more political, but just to really rebuild our movement roots. But then there were other things that we figured out, too, like we needed to use technology more and invest in new ways of getting care to people, which I'm proud to say we really have done. Um, invest in young people, a uh, you know, whole new generation of young people as patients, because they, they want different things than young people did when Planned Parenthood was started or even when I went to college at Brown. Um, so that has been part of the exciting thing is just thinking about healthcare delivery in a new way, as well as bringing in another generation of activists.
0: And what was the biggest challenge that you faced as the head of it?
1: I think the biggest challenge is the disruption in the healthcare world. We specialize in serving folks that don't have a lot of options often. Sometimes they're uninsured, they're younger, they may be more mobile. And it's the healthcare system you know, hasn't always been an easy place to navigate. And so one of the most exciting things was the fight for the Affordable Care Act because it seemed like such a chance to finally get some equity for women in the healthcare system. And I'm proud to say that we did. We made a lot of progress and that has fundamentally changed life, not only for women that come to Planned Parenthood, but millions of others. You know, the most successful moment I think of my life was the the day that President Obama called me and said, you know, he was about to announce that now all women that get insurance would get birth control covered at no cost. That has been revolutionary for women. And we're now at like a 30 year low for unintended pregnancy in this country and I'm really really proud of that.
0: Yeah, can you tell me a little bit more about what that fight was like?
1: Yeah, no, well, I mean, I think it was a good lesson in uh in that sometimes you have to fight with your friends, not just people who are your opponents because getting this done was a big lift and we had
0: within the Democratic Party.
1: Within yeah, within Congress, within the White House We really did have to mobilize young people on college campuses, dressed up in giant pill packs and, you know, uh, you know, agitated, came to Congress, wrote to the White House. And so it did take a lot. And you may even remember there was a moment in which Congress was holding a hearing about whether birth control should be covered. They refused to let a Georgetown law student testify because they said they needed experts. And when we saw the panel of experts, there was one thing they had in common, and that is they'd never used birth control because they were all men. Uh, So that, I mean, we really had some pretty big obstacles. But I think the exciting thing is now, and of course, unfortunately, this administration is trying to unravel this birth control benefit. But once you win something that big, it's much harder to, to take it away. I mean, women in this country are very aware of what that means for them, to be able to have that economic freedom and access to care.
0: So are you worried about the future of Planned Parenthood and any of the accomplishments that you made with it?
1: Well, I mean, nothing's ever finished. So we always have more progress to make. But one of the reasons I felt like I could leave after 12 years is the organization is as strong as it's ever been. We have um, more than 11 million supporters. We have um, we're delivering health care all across the country. We're delivering health care in, in some states uh, online. You know, birth control is getting better I feel really hopeful, and most importantly, we have a generation of young people who are their own advocates, and that to me is, you know, you marry that with the excellent health care we provide. I feel good about the future, even though I'm sure there are going to be battles ahead.
0: You explained in the book this meeting that you had with uh Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump. Right. Where they invited you. What what was that about? That was shortly after Trump's inauguration.
1: Basically, they wanted to meet about Planned Parenthood because I think they knew this was going to be, I mean, Paul Ryan had already declared they're going to defund Planned Parenthood. So even though I was, frankly, a little anxious about having that meeting because I didn't know what to expect, I felt like, it was you know, I owed it to our patients to, to try. But in the end, I really believe what they, you know, what certainly what Jared Kushner expressed is that he wanted us to, to quit providing abortion services to women in this country in exchange for keeping our public funding. And I just said, you know, we really stand for the right of women to get the reproductive health care they need. And that's a legal service that it's really important that women can get it. And we're not going to trade that off um, for money. Uh, so it didn't go that well. But at the end of the day, we were able to mount a, a campaign with hundreds of thousands of people around the country that supported Planned Parenthood and able to keep our public funding. And I hope we continue to do so because it, it makes a big difference. A lot of women who come to us were their only health care provider.
0: Yeah. So when you were having that conversation, mm-hmm. what was going through your head when this proposal was made?
1: I, I thought this is my chance to educate the two of them about who we see, what we do, and of course, re-educate them if they needed to know that federal funding doesn't go for abortion services. So in fact, the money that they were talking about cutting off from Planned Parenthood provides access to breast cancer screenings and birth control and STI testing and treatment. And again, for a lot of the women and young people who come to us, there's no one else in town to do that work. Um, So even though they understood that, I felt like they were trying to make kind of a political deal. And that's just not who we are at Planned Parenthood.
0: Was this an example of how you have always had to kind of balance politics with your personal ideals Mm -hmm. and then uh, leading an organization?
1: You know, it's interesting because I have been through and have been through congressional hearings. I've done a lot of other things in this 12 years at Planned Parenthood. I think the thing that's important to me is that we always keep women at the center of everything we do, decisions we make and positions we take. And so for me, it isn't hard. It's not a political game. It's actually about women whose health and sometimes their lives are at stake. And I think if we can continue to try to lift up their stories and create more empathy in this country for what women need, which is basically access to affordable health care no matter where they live, no matter their immigration status, their um, geography, their income, then we'll have done the right thing. So I just try to keep that in mind.
0: When did you decide that you were going to step down from Planned Parenthood?
1: Well, after we beat back this effort to defund Planned Parenthood, and that was with the help of two really important Republican senators, Susan Collins from Maine and Lisa Murkowski from Alaska. Yes, I mean, they are national heroines to me in terms of really standing up for women um, in their caucus. But once that happened, you know, I had really made a commitment to invest in a new generation of leaders. And even though it's really hard to leave an organization that you love, I think it's important to demonstrate sometimes that you can step aside and let someone else take the reins. And so we'll have a really smooth transition at Planned Parenthood. A lot of women are interested, and I'm probably some men interested in this job, and that's great. And I I will tell them uh, I will be cheering on the sidelines every step of the way for what they do next.
0: So what's next for you?
1: I don't know. And that's kind of exciting, too. I've been a little bit of an entrepreneur in the past. I've started nonprofits, and I've been always involved in movements. There's a lot of work that needs to be done in this country, I think. And one of the things I'm most focused on right now is making sure that every single person uh, is registered to vote and that they vote this November. I really think we need to restore democracy in the sense of having people not only have the right to vote, but then exercising that right. And I think if we do, you know, I think we can change the direction in some of the, some of the areas that that I'm concerned about.
0: Are you going to run for office at some point?
1: Well, you know, and that's not really in my plan, but you never want to say never. That's one thing my mother told me. Right, is never turn down a new opportunity. But I am excited about all the women running for office. Twice as many women running for Congress as two years ago up and down the ticket. I mean, there's all kinds of women running. And so I'd love to do everything I can to help them, support them. um, And uh, again, just change the face of who's in office
0: a bit. So throughout your career, whether you were with unions or um, even with the Democratic Party or with Planned Parenthood, you've gravitated towards jobs that have had lots of intense opposition, sometimes even violent threats. Do you seek out jobs that have the that, that type of thing that you think were, I'm just
1: like a magnet for uh,
0: where for you, controversy? <laughs> well yeah, where you have to, where you wanna like there's a struggle involved.
1: Well, I, I guess I think that you really should stand up, I believe, if you can, if you have the privilege that I have, and really stand up for the things that you believe in and fight hard for hard stuff. I think if it's easy, someone else has probably already done it. And so it's not that I'm a glutton for controversy. But I do think when it comes to LGBTQ rights, when it comes to women's rights, when it comes to, uh, you know, the right of everyone to have equal pay and a a fair chance, those are hard fights. And I know we've learned, uh, you know, people don't give up power uh, without a fight. I really would love to see... I think about all the time I've spent in Congress fighting for women's access to affordable health care and just access to be able to make their own decisions about their health care. I feel like I'd love to be uh, still alive to see the day when half of Congress uh, could get pregnant. And then again, I think we'd finally quit fighting about birth control and reproductive health care. Um, so that may be inciting controversy, but I think it really more is just hoping for a world that can be a little bit better than it is now.
0: Like these are fights worth having. It's I not seeking so. it out. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I, I yeah, definitely not like seeking trouble just for the the sake of it. Uh, And, again, I think some of the most important things that we've been able to do at Planned Parenthood have been to just continue to push the envelope, not sit back and rest on our laurels and say, well, it's good that birth control is legal. It doesn't matter if it's legal if not everyone can get it. And, again, I think we're making huge progress. But, you know, we're at a record low for teenage pregnancy in the U.S. That's something I'm very proud of. But I will also say... It's not equal that, you know, rates of teenage pregnancy are still too high among young women who are with low incomes, young women of color, young women in the southern United States. And so there's just work left to do.
0: What advice would you give to someone who wants to have a career like yours?
1: I think that if you're really young and just kind of getting started, sometimes it's hard to get into uh, big nonprofits or I, I think volunteering, finding a cause you care about. I mean, one of my first, you know, I before I had a job. Uh, like this, I remember I volunteered for someone running for city council in Austin and like two days later I was in charge of the phone bank. (laughs) It was like, you know, they were, they were just so excited to have a volunteer and I learned a ton of skills that way. So I think it is important sometimes to just, you know, get on a board of an organization that you care about, throw a fundraiser for them. Um, and uh, are the kinds of things that help you then begin to know, is this the organization you want to be with or either as a job or just as something you do in your volunteer time? But there are so many opportunities now. And I think there's never been, frankly, a better time to be a volunteer and to stand up for something that you really do care about.
0: Yeah. And, and when you've been part of all of these different organizations, what mm. would you say is the common thread among all of them?
1: I think it's to try to get people just a better shake and really... I hope, whether it's economic opportunity, whether it's, um, you know, women having equal chance, it's, you know, we're doing better, but we're still not doing, you know, near enough. And one of the things I learned from this, you know, being at Planned Parenthood all these years is just literally the difference it can make, the fork in the road that someone can be in and they, whether they can't get a breast cancer screening or they did and therefore Planned Parenthood was able to actually get them to treatment that saved their life. Or what it means for a young woman to be able to get affordable health care and get birth control that gets her through college, that can mean the difference about what her opportunities are. And so getting to be part of a movement like that is is unbelievably rewarding. I realize it's a huge privilege. And so I always feel like every day I need to pay it, pay it back some way.
0: Was there ever a moment in your life where you questioned this burden that you had?
1: Well, it's never fully felt like a burden. Okay. But I've never tried to take a straight job. That's true. And also, again, I had the good fortune when I was young, and I write about meeting Kirk, my husband, who is also an organizer, So finding someone that actually has the same ideas and dreams and idealism that you do makes it a lot easier. It was easier to have three kids and raise them with someone who understood that sometimes I needed to be, you know, off uh, on a picket line or had to, you know, be traveling and doing this. You know, I think we both tried to, to balance that. But it's meant building a life that really has had great meaning for us. And now, of course, all three of our kids are, I think they're all activists in their own right. And that's. That's the best reward for any parent.
0: It's like the the family business. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, except it's not a business so much, but yes, know, it's a, yeah, sure, but it sure. is, it's a family yeah. passion. It's a family passion. And yeah. look, I'll say there's like there's been some great moments with my kids, but nothing better than uh, all five of us being at the inauguration of Barack Obama as president of the United States because all of them had, had a had a role in that, you know, as even though the twins weren't even early, uh, old enough to vote, but they'd volunteered, they door knocked and it felt like a huge accomplishment.
0: When you're looking at the entirety of your career so far, what do you think would be uh, a time, maybe your biggest failure and what that taught you? So there's been so many.
1: Uh, one was I went to work on Capitol Hill and actually it was a great job. It was, when was this? This was, uh, I we had moved to Washington and oh, I can't remember the year, but actually it was when Nancy Pelosi first became the Democratic um, whip. She was the highest ranking woman ever in Congress. And I'd never worked on Capitol Hill. I had no idea how things worked there. But, I mean, I spent about a year and a half on the Hill and then left to start a new nonprofit. But it was one of these things where even though I always felt like I was a failure because, like, there were people there who knew everything about every rule and how Congress worked and all this. So I I don't feel like I was successful, but I learned so much from Nancy Pelosi and from the people who had built their entire career working in government. So even though I realized it wasn't the job for me, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. And I think that's also one of the things to learn is that, you know, you can try something and even it's okay to say it didn't work out, but you, you almost get something from every single job or new adventure that you take, even if it doesn't work out in the long run. And Nancy Pelosi is still a really good friend. And frankly, we worked together on passing the Affordable Care Act and a lot of other things. So those relationships have become some of the most important in my life.
0: And what did that experience teach you specifically going forward?
1: One was that I wasn't cut out to work in government. (laughs) (laughs) I was impatient, and I really wanted to be out making things happen. And right then it was really, really difficult. But I think it reminded me of a lesson that I feel like I've learned and had to relearn, which is anytime you can take a job with someone who can teach you something, go for it. Uh, And I learned, again, I learned a lot from her I learned a lot from the people on the Hill. And so just soaking that up, it was like taking a graduate course in Capitol Hill. I always uh, advise young women in particular to always look for someone who can be a mentor to you or who can teach you about something you don't know about, because you never know when that's going to come in handy.
0: Well, thank you so much, Sue.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be here.
0: Thanks for listening to Success How I Did It from Business Insider. Our show is produced by Anna Mazarakis and Dan Richards. Dan Bobcoff is our executive producer. And I'm Rich Filoni. Please don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave us a review. We'll be back next week with another episode of Success.
1: Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. <laughs>